Welcome to the Black and Noble podcast, where we dissect the Black experience through literature. This Black-ass podcast is sponsored by... Nobody this season, but hopefully next season's a little different. Greetings, and thank you for listening to the Black and Noble podcast. I'm your host, Javier Diggs. It's October 2020, and my guest is Shakur Maynard. The book we are dissecting is Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America by Ibrahim X. Kendi. Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America is a 2016 nonfiction book about race in the United States that won the National Book Award for Nonfiction. The timeline of racist ideas turned into policies, which led to the justification tactics is covered through five main historical characters. 1663 to 1728, we learned about John Cotton and Richard Mather, the idea guys. 1743 to 1826, we are introduced to the ideology and policies of Thomas Jefferson, who helped inject racism to the foundation of America. 1805 to 1879, William Lord Garrison takes us through the racist ideas in media, books, plays, movies, and etc. Public opinion is swayed from 1868 to 1963 through W.D. Du Bois and his tries to uplift black people. We close the book out with Angela Davis, who helps us see how racism has progressed to what we know today. All right, well, let's go ahead and get it started, y'all. Uh, without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and bring in my guest, Shakur Maynard. Hey, hey. How you doing today, Shaq? I'm doing good, just a little tired. How you doing? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Appreciate you for doing the cast today. Thank you. All right. Um, I'd like to get out some free promo and also help introduce my guest. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you got going on. Go ahead and plug all your businesses. We'd like to support our Black-owned businesses on Black & Noble. So, my name is Shakora Maynard. I'm a recent graduate from Oklahoma City University. I graduated with honors, just so y'all know. Woo, woo, woo. Uh, I graduated with a degree in graphic design and uh, immediately after graduating, I started my own design company, so Snack Digital. You can follow Snack Digital at Snack Digital on Instagram and also Snack Digital on Facebook, or you can go to my website, www.snackdigital.com. Um, I'm also the founding ace for a chapter of Sigma Lambda Alpha Sorority Incorporated at Oklahoma City University, and I'm their alumni advisor. And uh, I also really like politics, so anybody want to hit me up on my personal Instagram, at Shakura Maynard, talk politics any day of the week any day of the week very very glad to have you on the show um so stamp from the beginning a definitive history of racist ideas in america um i did a little intro earlier on kind of explaining the book and going over some of the uh the chronological characters and events but uh, if you were to explain this book to somebody how would you describe stamp from the beginning so stamp from the beginning is an altogether very like concise history about how certain racist ideas were created Mm -hmm. specifically to put black people in the position that we are in today that's exactly that's exactly how it for me um because i love anthropology it's one of those things that kind of just helps bridges the gap on 
why people think the way they think. Because I don't know. I when I was a child, I used to think, you know, I'm just smart, and by the time I'm an adult, everyone's gonna be smart. But that was uh, <laughs> very humble to find out that some people just think differently, just have different uh, points of view on things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, it's just them being dumb. Right. So, <laughs> so um, I already kind of know what turned you on to the book, for for lack of a better word, we'll just say clout. But um, what, was some <laughs> of, <laughs> what was some of your favorite takeaways from the book? Um, and what are some things that kind of like really impacted you and stuck with you? So the most to me significant, the most significant statement in the book is when um, the statement that says that like black people, the only thing wrong with black people is that they think there's something wrong with black people. Mm. I think when that statement comes out, it's just like those moments where you're like, oh, so you're just going to call me out like that on a Tuesday for no reason. <laughs> so, it is, so it's not my fault at all, huh? Yeah. So, so <laughs> I think that statement is like a really jarring statement because it, I think it forces people to like really evaluate what ideas you have about black people that are negative. Right. Yeah, the black person in me heard that and kind of exhaled. I was like, I'm glad to know that I'm not, not necessarily not crazy, but every, I think every melanated person goes through that in society where they're just like, yo, what is, why am I getting treated this way? But the entrepreneur in me was like, I got to work harder, man. Forget what you're talking about. Yeah, I've always been convinced of, yeah, we definitely, I know we talked about this, but the whole like assimilation thing where it's like, oh, I need to be like the outstanding Negro because it makes it easier for everyone else. But right. all it does is have them acknowledge that this particular person is great. And this particular, and it does, it, it, it sort of supports the whole bootstrap idea that that is impossible. Right. That has already been proven to be impossible that MLK said you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps if you don't have any boots. Exactly. Can't, uh, can't call crabs in a barrel until we talk about why they're in a barrel. Exactly. <laughs> it's very, very true. So anything that you uh didn't like about the book? Um what or maybe maybe your least favorite section, I'll say that. So anything related to WEB Du Bois I'm not interested in. <laughs> I became the same way after reading it. Because he's the one that definitely pushed the idea of it being so important that we be the outstanding Negro. Right. And why black elite like the black elite community is the way that it is it's super exclusive and the and wdb du bois was also like very not feminist like nothing he did was in support of women's rights right it's in support of like uplifting black men to be on the level of white men but like not uplifting black women yeah colorism and misogyny is very uh evident in a lot of his um a lot of his works yeah and so my thing is like if you're not if you're not uplifting black women after all the work that black women have done i don't like i don't want to hear it yeah like any any sort of like black uplifting plan that doesn't specifically target what black women have been going through like yeah i'm not interested at all exactly i agree and it's been something that's uh, in the book you see it's been a tool that's constantly reoccurring to kind of distract men from the overall goal. The overall goal is equality. It can't just be for you specifically. Exactly. Which is frustrating because black women have done I personally feel like there are black women who feel different differently but I personally feel like black women have done so much to uplift black men 
And it's not always perfect, but I feel like Black women do the best we can with the resources given. And Black Mm. women rarely get thanks from Black men. This is true. This is true. And that doesn't say not at all, rarely, for some of y'all who are butthurt and thinking like, oh, it's something that rarely is it like that. I'm not saying people don't uh, uplift Black women and open up, you know, spaces for them to be comfortable and speak their mind freely, but um, it's definitely not as rare or not as accepted, I guess, as for a Black man. Like, There's no female Dr. Umar. I'll put it like that. <laughs> at least not. At least not on our side. I love hearing Candace Owens speak, but I um I'm just gonna leave that there. <laughs> um, I don't appreciate Candace Owens thinking she says anything for Black women. <laughs> I just like her sentence structure. I just yeah, don't like- I, <laughs> let me tell you something else. I a Black woman who gets perms is not a Black woman who speaks for me. Oh yeah, nah. I was never um. I don't know. I, and I guess that's the segregator in me. I was never big on other people's cultures. I appreciate them. I love anime. I love, you know, my Hispanic side of everything I got going on. I love, I like different cultures, but I'm never big on um, adopting them or trying to make them my own. Yeah, it's, there's no way to adopt it because a culture is specifically built for those people. Right. And what happens is you try to adopt this other culture and you realize you don't fit, which is what's been happening with black people. We don't fit with European culture. And yeah. I'm not by saying we can't we can't appreciate those things, but black people always do better when they accept the side of them that is African essentially. Oh yeah, for sure. Even in Latin cultures, like the in Cuba, the Church of Santeria started with Yoruba, and so a lot of Black people are part of the Church of Santeria, and it's more comfortable yeah. for them than going around talking about, oh, I'm Catholic. <laughs> exactly. But just because it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up and just mixed up in a lot of, uh, honestly, I just call them distractors now. Yeah, definitely distractions. Yeah, if it has nothing to do with your personal culture, then it's just a distraction from what you're, you know, trying to achieve so hey guys it's your host javier diggs uh just want to take a second out of the episode to thank you guys for listening uh you can follow us on instagram at black and noble that's b-l-a-c-k-n-n-o-b-l-e uh dm us your questions and maybe any submissions you have or if you want to be a part of an episode you can send us voice questions and submissions through anchor app of DMS and I can get that set up for you as well but enjoy the rest of the cast and stay black and noble cool and we're coming back now um so there's five big chapters for the book there's cotton matter there's uh I'm going off the top here so give me a second there's cotton matter there's Thomas Jefferson William Lloyd Garrison I think there we go to WD Du Bois and I'm pretty sure your favorite section of the book Angela Davis how did you feel about um how Angela Davis is represented in the book. And um, just really quickly before you even answer that, just give people a background on you and Angela Davis. So uh, my time in college has been like a time for me to like learn a lot. And I always knew about Angela Davis, but I never had an opportunity to really like talk about, feel like feel her impact in my life. Mm -hmm. And so as I like educated myself at a PWI and like really dealt with a lot of the things that, not obviously not on the same level because Angela Davis went through some stuff, but like dealing with <laughs> just like dealing with like white supremacy and all these other things on my campus, right. it was a great opportunity for like for me to educate myself and also like 
just look at Angela as like a as like almost like an advisor for my own life and I right. got to meet Angela Davis she signed a book she signed <laughs> she actually signed three books for me but she doesn't know because I had people wait in line with for me with books wow. <laughs> Angela I hope you hear this <laughs> yeah because it was like one person oh, like one book per person and I was like okay sure and I uh, <laughs> I had people wait in line for me uh I got three books signed. I got a bunch of pictures with her. I got to ask her a question at this conference. And it was like one of the best academic experiences that I've ever had. Mm, gotta love our people. Yeah. So I love Angela. And her hair is beautiful to be as old oh, as she is. Her hair is freaking gorgeous. That's the most beautiful Afro I never seen on an old woman. That's why you take care of it. Don't permit. That's what Exactly. <laughs> it defies gravity, absorbs the sun. It's just beautiful. And so you actually got to ask her a question, if I remember right. Yeah. Okay, so what was your question and how did she respond? So I asked her because Angela Davis was coming up in the same time that womanism was like really big. And womanism is essentially the what people call intersectional feminism now is feminism mm -hmm. that is more about the different aspects of womanhood where like black women have different troubles than a white woman have because it's uh, sexism wrapped in with like colorism and racism and that maybe like a disabled woman will have different troubles because like the 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 stigmas around ableism and stuff like that right and so womanism is what we call intersectional feminism now but it was the original one when black women were stepping away from feminism because they were like okay feminism is obviously not working for me right and so angela davis i asked her why she would use feminism whenever she talks about her activism instead of using womanism because literally it was she was coming up at the same time that alice walker was doing this work so i was like how does that even make sense why would you use that word knowing the, it doesn't represent your movement. Yeah, knowing the stigma surrounding that word and, and what the preface of her women, politics, and culture, I think. Women, politics, and culture, in the preface of that book, she talks about how she's very particular with the words she uses because she wants to make sure that every single word benefits the meaning that she's overall trying to represent. And then I said, well, if you're trying to be very intentional with the words that you use and you know that people are going to have to like spend time really understanding the meaning of those words, why would you use a word that didn't have the complete meaning that you were talking about? Why would you use right. feminism instead of womanism? Right. And um, and that's kind of like a loaded question. Oh, yeah, you definitely set her up to snap at you and <laughs> lose your whole fandom setup. Exactly. She's like, you really gonna question me like that? Like, I'm over here getting checks, and you asking me questions like that, and I'm just like, yeah. asking hard questions, man. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't really get the answer that I wanted. She essentially just told me that that she uses feminism because it's more internationally known, and it's easier mm -hmm. to talk about the bigger ideas she wants to talk about when she doesn't have to clarify what she's talking about with feminism, right. and then. I, that answer kind of disappointed me because it it took away from the fact that she is so intentional. I like the fact that when you listen to Angela Davis, you're forcing yourself to educate yourself because right. you're not going to understand it unless you spend time 
looking up words, unless you spend time with the thesaurus, unless you spend time researching. And I felt like she wasn't, she was cutting out some of the work that people have to do to understand her. And I know at a certain point, it's just like, how much work will I make them do? But I liked that about Angela, that you can't just come in lazy. Like, if you're going to come at Angela Davis, you have to do the work to understand her. Yeah, I think that's a very, very beautiful thing. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I definitely, definitely see where you're coming from with that and why that would irritate you. Yeah, to me. But at the same time, it's just like everything that Angela Davis has done for the culture, has done for, like, in support of, like, trying to trying to get, like, um, prison reform and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And feminism is not her main thing. Angela Davis has always been about focusing on prison reform. Right. So it's just like, am I even doing too much trying to have her focus on all these things when I know that's because nobody can focus on everything. Like we all try to pretend like we have the time and energy to really focus on all this stuff. But there are people who pick one or two one or two like things that they really care about and Angela Davis's things was black empowerment and prison reform and yeah. so it's just like all the as much as I would love for her to care uh, about this and she talks about it that's not am I doing too much by expecting that oh yeah and she has a l- long catalog of books that were probably because she has one that says Abol- uh, abolition feminism now she has let's see our prisons obsolete uh freedom is a constant struggle uh Let's see, abolition, Demo- what was it? abolition democracy. She has a bunch of different books, so she's obviously tackling a lot of heavier subjects. So I can see her just being like, you know what? I'll just call it feminism for all these kids who are on, you know, TikTok, not paying attention. Honestly, yeah. The- but I bet oh, she probably thought about your question. She probably appreciated that when she got home. I really hope so, because I held my hand up for 30 minutes to be able to ask her a question. Hmm. <laughs> And so I will let's let's bring it back to um stamp from the beginning now. So uh her character in the story and the areas that they covered, do you th- did you think those were uh did you think those sufficed for her character? Did you enjoy her section of the book? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So I don't think that us that section is ever going to be enough to really explain Angela Davis's role. But I mm. think when you're ex- just explaining specifically about racism in the US minus and you're not analyzing individual characters, and I think that's definitely good enough to understand. But I feel like Stamps of the Beginning is definitely like an introductory novel. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I think... It was very thick, though, but I can definitely say... I don't know, it forced me to read other things. So, yeah. it's definitely something that, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a thick crumb trail. <laughs> it's a full load, thick, thick chapters, but... um. Definitely is the start for just a lot, a lot of research that you have to do. Yeah, because without, if I just try to take away the knowledge that I have before coming into Stamps from the beginning and just think about what's in this book, I don't think you get like a full, well rounded view of W.E.B. Du Bois. I don't think you get a full, rounded view of any of the like the main characters that they define mm-hmm. the book by. I agree. I like the section with um, William Lloyd Garrison with the media just because I, his, his position isn't necessarily about him personally, just about where he was in the time and what was being released and his um, opinions on it. I think that's probably the only character that you can probably read about in the book and be like, okay, cool, I kind of understand him. But uh, Richard Mather and Cotton and then 
Thomas, obviously you can read scores on Thomas Jefferson, but definitely everybody else in the book and kind of introduces you to them in a different light and definitely makes you want to do a little more research. Yeah. I I definitely don't think that they really show um, Jefferson in a way where you really see how terrible of a person he is. Like, I almost feel like this book shows him too kindly. Yeah, but they, I know it's not the point. Like, it's not the point to even focus on him. True, but they just make Abraham Lincoln look so bad in comparison. <laughs> but Abraham Lincoln was really racist, and Abraham Lincoln did not want to free slaves for good reason. Oh, yeah. And they, they made sure you knew all the reasons. <laughs> yeah. But Thomas Jefferson, he almost seems he almost seems more like Lincoln if you read it, because he's like, well, I don't really believe in this, but yeah. you know, I there's no way we can get rid of him. It makes that's him seem like he's not he's not an active participant almost. Like he's this docile character that's just letting things happen. And right. it's like, no, he he advocated for all these different things in France. He had a black woman held captive when she was about to get her freedom in France. Yeah, and they say when he died, he was in the most debt that a person could be in and owned the most slaves. I think he was allowed to have. <laughs> yeah. It's just like he's just again, it's like a BP apology. Like, oh, I'm so sorry for all that oil spilling out. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's absolutely no accountability. Yeah. And I feel like that's just one of the themes of America. It's like white men having zero accountability for anything. Yeah, that's, that's part of my issue now as an adult. I, I get irritated if I can't hold you accountable. I don't hold it against people because there's always things going on, but if I feel like I can't work with you or you're just going to constantly blow things off, then, uh, yeah, I get real short with you. Honestly, that I think that's one of the my favorite things about working for myself is, like, I can hold myself accountable. And I don't have to oh, work yeah. with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I have to hold myself accountable because then I'll just be sitting there and I'll be like, bro, you fucking suck. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I suck for not getting that work done. Right, it's on me. There's not the only thing wrong with me is the idea that I think something's wrong with me. My laziness is just laziness. <laughs> exactly. I could definitely not be lazy, but instead I'm sitting here eating 20 packs of free snacks. And I'm a tourist. I'm always doing something. It just looks like I'm doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a, uh, another quick break and then we'll go ahead and close it out. But um, again, Stamp from the Beginning by Ibrahim X. Kendi, A Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Definitely check that out. Hey guys, it's your host Javier Diggs. Uh, just want to take a second out of the episode to thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Black and Noble. That's B L A C K N N O B L E. Uh, DM us your questions and maybe any submissions you have, or if you want to be a part of an episode, you can send us voice questions and submissions through Anchor app. Uh, DM us and I can get that set up for you as well. But enjoy the rest of the cast and stay Black and Noble. So we're coming back, y'all. Um, again, I have uh, Shakur Maynard as my guest. Thank you again for uh, coming on the show. Anytime. So uh, we're going to just cover the epilogue really quickly. I really like the epilogue because after all this information he gives you about the history of racist ideas and where it is now and how it's progressed, I'm like, all right, well, how do we fix this, man? What's your big idea? What's your plan? 
Um, basically, in order to destroy racism, uh, Ibrahim believes that you have to destroy racist institutions and replace them with not non-racist, but anti-racist ones. So colleges, organizations, unions, whatever it may be, uh, find it, seek it out, you know, say, hey, this is racist. We're going to make something that's the opposite of this to help combat that. And then, you know, you'll see some real change. Um, I definitely believe that's a thing because I remember in the early 2000s watching the LBGTQ community come straight on up. <laughs> just leapfrog any other group getting oppressed just because anything that was considered just like anti-gay or not cool with homosexuals was bashed and just, just got destroyed by public opinion. So um, I definitely agree with his epilogue. I think that's something that, um, I think that'll work. It's just, I don't know if we can actually make it happen. So with that being said, uh, how did you feel about the epilogue? Or his idea of, you know, how we can combat racism. So, the thing with me is, like, I always want... I want options that seem possible. And abolishing things that are... And making everything anti-racist just doesn't seem possible within the near future. And so, it's kind of, like, tiresome. Because, like, at what point will Black people get justice? All these other groups can get justice. But the thing about like the LGBTQ community is that a lot of people in that community also uphold racism. Are they also mm-hmm. uphold colorism? Are they uphold all these other the these other isms? And so right. it's just I just sometimes it's just exhausting thinking about like how and when black people can receive justice. Mm. I think um the reason I think it's just something that's gonna take a while. It's because I don't know where I can't find the exact thread or piece of yarn that leads to this rift and like the core of it. But black men and women have something they need to sit down and talk about so that we can get on the same page. Because in other groups, I mean, yeah, they have their issues, but with us, it kind of seems like we're not really in the position where we need to be beefing with each other over things. Yeah, but I, I also hate the idea that like black people as a community need to be unified. Because it's like telling us to unify over one singular culture, especially over the United States. Like, black people on the West Coast are completely different from black people on the East Coast. And black people from the Northeast are completely different from black people from the South. So it's like the expectation that we can be unified is also, it's like all the things they say that we need to have in order to be like a cohesive group are things that are not necessarily attainable by black people because of how the colonizers separated us yeah this is true i mean there's definitely some some walls there i mean we got black trump supporters who will look me dead in the eye and be like you you're crazy like you you not voting this way you're not thinking this type of way is crazy and i mean we are all essentially different but i think it's possible because even though i agree with your statement that you don't feel like we should have to link up just in order to you know be successful in this country I mean, naturally, we kind of do. You know, when you see another black person at an event, you're like, oh, snap, hey, I'm going to come buddy it with you real quick. Or I don't know. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be like just because you're black. It's just you understand what I'm going through. I think God is a, has an amazing sense of humor of making my best friend this white kid from Fayetteville who just not necessarily gets, not like he's like he's down, but he just gets it. Like he sees what's going on. He, he's, he's honest about what's going on. And it just helps you better understand, like, all right, we don't necessarily need to, again, the segregator in me doesn't necessarily need to, that doesn't need to be a leading voice. Like we need to have our own this and our own that. But in every community, there's not necessarily 
uh, coming together, but just a sense of respect between the two genders. And I don't see that necessarily as tightly as or cohesively as I do with our people. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel that. And I, 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 feel, like, I feel that. Uh, yeah, because colorism is, uh, I don't know, we don't, other races I don't feel like deal with colorism as much as with colorism. I don't think Asian people are like, oh, I don't want the round eye. I like that, you know. No, Asians, <laughs> like all these other groups are incredibly colorist. If you hear like, what white Asians will say to people who are like Indian, like they, some Asian people won't even let like Indian people say that they're Asian. Oh, now that now that is very true. I don't know about as far as Asian, like the whole country of Asia, but as far as Indian people, I definitely believe that. I think that's where it honestly started the Dravidian albinos, the South Indians and the North Indians. The North Indians were lighter, and they were uh, they were prone to having a lot of albinos in their community, and they were shunned a lot. So I think that's honestly what colorism started. I don't even think it started with black people. I do think it started with what you would consider Asians or Indian people. But um, I don't know. I guess that's still a thing, but it's not. I don't know how to sound like black people getting held back, Shaq. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, I'm just saying that, like, I'm just saying, like, in other communities, like, even my uh, my friend, she's Mexican. And she was talking about how we went to go get, we we went, like, swimming together. And one, just one leg of hers got tan. I don't know how it happened, but she just had one tan leg. Mm. And then her mom was literally like, that's ugly skin. Like, that dark skin is ugly. You need to figure out how to lighten it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and her mom would, like, never say anything like that to me. Like, her mom was always like, oh, you're beautiful, this, this, and this. But then, like, as soon as her daughter had something that looked almost black, like, like being, being light is very important in these and like the thing is what we consider dark because like I, technically I'm considered light skinned so I would be treated with respect what do you mean technically? technically I'm light <laughs> but like a Mexican girl my color she would be bashed she'd be like you darky all this terrible stuff mm. so colorism is definitely like like Afro-Latinas and Afro-Latinos get dogged out because they're part black. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I uh, <laughs> I had the pleasure of working with him. He's ah, I forget where he's from. His parents are from Mexico, but he's like from somewhere else or whatever. But yeah, he was telling me some Cuban jokes, and I, I mentioned that I was Cuban, but I think it really stuck with him because you know the whole dreads and me just looking the way I look. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he was telling me some Cuban jokes, and I was hurt. I was like, okay. I'm just not gonna hang out with you no more. <laughs> At least for a week. Give me some time. Yeah, yes. Humans were known for dressing nice and not having food in our house. And I had a rough week that week. So I was like, yeah. Honestly. I'm I definitely don't feed stereotypes. I do not want to feed into stereotypes. But when I was in <laughs> Cuba, people was rolling dice on the side of the street with Gucci on. <laughs> Hey man, I love my people. That's how we get down. <laughs> you gotta look good, you gotta feel good, and you know you don't have to necessarily have to have much, but you know. <laughs> the most beautiful people I've ever seen, though. Hey, talk to them. But back to the original, I don't think that black women overall have a general respect for black men. Yeah, and I that's feel my like. I feel like, but let me tell you where I think it starts from or okay. where, where I think it's coming from now. Because I think at some point, black women, especially during the 90s, were like, okay, so we need to put more effort into really respecting black men. 
Mm-hmm. And I think in the 2000s, black woman was, at least from my view, as a 22-year-old, let's note the fact that I'm 22, that it comes from the idea that, like, at this point where we try to put black men in a situation where there can be, like, mutual respect, black women, let black men decide to disrespect black women. Yeah. Okay. Or, like, not look out for black women. Because I've been in situations where it's, like, I'll put a black man in a situation to, like, make the dunk. You know, like, I pass the ball, pass it over, and then mm-hmm. they go and dunk, and they're like, oh, and nobody helped me. Yeah, I can see that. And I feel like that happens a lot, and I feel like it comes from, like, black men's arrogance, and I feel like at a, a lot of the times, black women just don't want to be patient. Oh, yeah, it's definitely an ego thing. I think with men, is, is I mean, colorism is not really as prevalent, as, but classism definitely is. Like, any brother making over 400000 is voting for Trump, looking at you like you a clown because you ain't got no money. It's a lot of those four, a lot of that 4X mentality. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like I'm doing this I'm popping you're not popping you're not doing it it's just like what constitutes a prostitute is the pursuit of profit and the way you're going about this is cool but um <laughs> that level of hustle brother I'm not really into doing yeah or they think that they're really <laughs> making like my thing is you can make $400,000 but are you creating generational wealth and yeah. if you're sitting over there feeling like you're doing something and you're not creating generational wealth then you're just arrogant because yeah. a white person who is making four hundred thousand dollars a year still has a whole lot more money than them. A black yeah. person making four hundred thousand dollars a year is living like a white person making a hundred k. Yeah, and my thing is the white family. It trickles down with white families. Like I have friends who are rich because their grandfathers are rich. Like they don't have to worry about certain things. Black families, I feel like the money kind of sticks. And yeah, it's a combination of arrogance, which I think comes from them just not having nothing. I think, you know, the crack ep- epidemic and a lot of stuff going on for black men is just hard to a point where any success is their success. Like, yeah, I'm just happy that I made it because everybody else is doing so bad. And I feel like that's kind of a part of it, but I don't want to give black men that cop out. I still want to hold us to that standard where we should be doing what we should be doing. Yeah, but it's also harder for black women to really, like, have empathy if we don't see that part like see the because the cracking epidemic really did break away families like I was explaining it to one of my white friends and you know he's a history buff and he's like super a cab like Black Lives Matter and he had no idea that that had ever happened oh yeah like he just thought that that was like a crazy conspiracy that old black people said and I'm just like you should always believe what old black people say it may not sound right but it probably happened Oh no, definitely. I thought I didn't think the Tulsa thing was real until um, I had think I got older. Actually, you know when we went there, when we went to Oklahoma. Yeah. They were telling me stories about it. I was like, that is insane. So they really dropped a bomb. Yeah, they they bombed the Black uh, Wall Street. They they bombed it, and they were precise enough with those bombs that the White Street, that's literally right across the way, was completely mm-hmm. unscathed. And the Tuskegee experiments and. It's just a lot of stuff. And the thing I think black men forget sometimes is what black people forget sometimes. Yeah, it's happened to men, but it happened to women also. So we need to kind of, I don't know, give each other our credit. Yeah, but like one thing I don't think black women really acknowledge something like that black, I personally have a lot of pain over is like Henrietta Lacks and the fact that they're still using her DNA today for mm-hmm. testing. Like yeah. Every time I think about Henrietta Lacks in the situation she's put in it makes me want to cry 
Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's literally some of the saddest stuff ever. But it makes you, I don't know. I, I get a sense of pride from it. It makes you feel like the chosen people. Yeah, but I don't want to be the chosen person for suffering. Like, if I could be like still black, but then be, but honest. Yeah, I just don't want to be the group of people that everyone's like they've been through everything and they're so resilient they can always go through more I wouldn't yes yeah because yeah, uh, that's the thing uh guys and girls have trouble talking about sometimes like look just because this is, seems lighter to me it does it's not 50 pounds is 50 pounds regardless of how who's picking it up yeah well, we, we shouldn't just leave the weights there to carry yeah well, yeah, we'll figure it out. I, I think we will figure it out, but I think the reason that our group of people hasn't is just because of that, because men and women aren't necessarily on the same page. And it's cool when white people create that division because they don't need, not necessarily led up, they don't need to be on the same accord about that. Same for the Asian community. I mean, Hispanic community is, is so fluid that it's really hard to like, I'm, I'm sure they have their issues, but I don't know, black suffrage is such it's so systematic that it's hard for me to, not give it its own special category. I just I just think that like the demise of the black community is so involved in the government because like without government oversight, black people have always thrived. Oh yeah. And so I, I think every time we trip up it's always related to some sort of like some sort of policy. Mm-hmm. And that's what the book is again, if you guys Stand from the beginning, but even the next Kennedy, a definitive history of racist ideas in America. That helps you totally understand how racism or being able to control a color of people is is so embedded in the foundation of this country. Like free labor is like I saw an article and I didn't read the whole thing, I saw the headline, but some lady said uh reparations come up to around like sixteen trillion dollars. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, just like you said. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> we built everything. 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 Like, everything. the amount of work that our ancestors put into this country with, like, with interest, since white folks love interest mm. so much. And I know I'm Muslim. I'm not supposed to deal with interest, but I will take interest also with white folks. Oh, yeah. Like, and to me, sixteen trillion would just be like a modest. That's modest. Oh yeah, it's not. You know, it's just, it's like because you gotta think we. Li- I mean, again, built everything. The entertainment industry wouldn't be the same without us. Money exchanges through our hands more than any other group of people. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> we have a four hundred year economic disadvantage, and yet you and I are sitting here. I mean, I'm using all Apple devices right now. <laughs> just. It's it's amazing. I'm also all on Apple devices, so I feel you. Like we lost in the sauce of capitalism. (laughs) And it can work to a degree, but it has to. The right people have to be in charge. Trust me, I I understand we're at a point now where it's literally a South South Park episode. We got to choose between a a douche and a turd sandwich. (laughs) Honestly, I don't think that capitalism is functioning I don't think it functions better with like anyone else I just don't think we need capitalism I I, I honest to God because I understand the concepts of like like to me there's no reason why someone should be so wealthy in a country where there are literally people starving 
Like, people really talk mess about Cuba as, like, this third world country. Cuba doesn't have people starving. This is true. And so, this this idea that I should be, like, proud of someone who's... Like, first of all, the, the, the idea that Jeff Be- Bezos has worked hard is hilarious. Yeah, I don't... That's totally false. Yeah, and then the fact that, like, I should aspire to that. It's completely unrealistic. Yeah. And I think it also, like, trivializes, like what people what people below the poverty line are going through yeah it also i don't know it it is challenges what people think success is and how you gain success i hate the 40 some 50 some white dudes who are talking about you got to wake up you got to work hard you got to eat this and whatever whatever yeah and it's just let's skip over the major aspects of your success one no one's trying to hold you back first of all Exactly. Not deny you a bank loan. No one's gonna make you feel uncomfortable. There's nothing holding you back. Second of all, a lot of these stories they kind of skip over the part where somebody hooked them up with something that put them on the next level. Success only happens when you one you're working with someone and someone reaches back and pulls you forward, so you understand where you know where you're going. Like this whole idea of you're not working hard enough you know you got to do this that and the third is is total bs yeah and they always show that picture of jeff bezos like working in his father's garage like 10 20 years like 30 <laughs> years ago and it's just like you had a father here. with a garage like that's that's a plus dude yeah and it's just like there are people in like even if we just talk about atlanta there are people in the west end who grew up in the same apartments they live in the same apartments as their parents their grandparents live there and they have no way of ever escaping that lifestyle oh yeah and it's just is in greensboro i was like how do people get money (laughs) like i'm confused how are people doing this yeah so because at 29 i do not see how my mom had me at 22 and kept things but like yeah it's it's, it's a lot of work yeah and the way that you do it is at some point like for a lot of black people is like appealing to the to the to the uh, uh basically appealing to white folks oh persuasion. yeah appealing to white folks or or just being a situation where people could really help you like where you like like in mom's case she left you with grandma poppy a lot and it's just like so she could focus on school mm-hmm. and it's just like that's she she needed help this whole idea that like people who are working at fast food restaurants with like barely can barely afford anything else just need to save their pennies and figure out how to go back to school or something first of all college is a scam i wasted over a hundred thousand dollars oh yeah no it's uh I- i'm glad i left when i did it's always one of those things that's on my list like i'm gonna go back and knock it out just because i know my grandma uh, my grandma and poppy want to see that paperwork but um, times have changed. Like the highway was the highway back then, but the internet is the highway now. And I was born in a time where I was able to figure everything out from jump. So, I, I mean, being really smart is, is impressive, but I don't think anybody knows more than Google. Honestly, yeah. And it's all pretty accessible. And my girl, she just downloaded this app for me. We can take, I mean, you have to pay for some of them, but you get certain classes for free. And I'm just like, I think education, I don't know, I think, the world needs to be redesigned or at least the u.s needs to be redesigned in a way where families can focus more on being families and especially our group like our you know race or whatever but i think that's just how things need to go because uh 
I don't know, the nine to five, work to your 60. Yeah, go, and I feel like, this and this is it's like another working. critique for the black elite. I feel like they're really advocating for this like nine to five corporate thing. And it's like, that's, that's honestly, yeah. as someone who like, not to brag about myself, but I graduated college honors. I was always like the most active art student. I was like the art student that everybody knew. I was one that was like getting all the opportunities and I graduated and I'll, granted I graduated in the middle of the pandemic but I literally had a job they dropped my contract because well they dropped me because of the pandemic and they're like well we want to focus on the employees we already have I have been applying that entire time could not find a job that was worth my time because I was not gonna like because like working at a fast food not fast food restaurant but basically like working in the kitchen at a restaurant I was making $15,000 a year and then so these jobs are offering me like job we're like doing like twenty five thousand dollars a year and I'm just like that's barely a jump up from just working fast food. Like if I started working full time fast food, I'd make that right. instead of just part time. And for me, I never minded the work, but I think um, well first let me go back to something. I brought you on here to brag about you. <laughs> so by all means, talk your shit, Shakur. <laughs> very very proud of your accomplishments anybody who isn't is i'm inclined to believe they are a hater and deserve to be wherever they are but i um i don't know i started getting out of the nine to five thinking just when i got into sales and realized i mean if you can talk somebody into buying a 50 dollars product you know a couple times out of the month you don't have to deal with you know divvying out to this or paying that you can pay yourself that and just pay the taxes on it like yeah it's much 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 better to be an entrepreneur and work for yourself and create something and like you just make so much like i might i'm not making crazy amounts of money but i'm making more money than i did working at a place that i hated and i'm working way less hours and I work whenever I want. I could just wake up at 2 a.m. and just do whatever oh, I want. Yeah. I definitely do. Well, I don't smell like hot pizza anymore. <laughs> I don't smell like hot pizza. My feet don't hurt. Uh, I'm not breaking out from like from all the oil in the air from the restaurant. Like my life is better, genuinely better. And all I do <laughs> is sit at home on my computer. And that is a great feeling that I can sit, I can convince people to spend money with me, give them a great product, and I can do it all from my computer that I freaking love at my house. Yeah, it's the new. It is the new highway. If you're willing to drive somewhere, you can make some money. So, yeah, if you don't have a laptop or an iPad or whatever your setup is, get one. Come up with an ebook, sell that joint maybe 10, 15 times a month, and you got yourself some passive income. Yeah, That's or like, just like making money, time. doing anything you do, any sort of ha- hobby can be turned into a form of money. Like these people, anybody who wants to learn how to like hustle on the internet, they need to make a TikTok because TikTok is full of people selling something crazy that you never thought people would buy, mm-hmm. and they buy it. There's so many followers, uh, followers yeah. are girls who like make wigs, girls who make jewelry, girls who just make random trinkets to sit on your table. There's this girl who makes uh, like balloon statues, and she sells her balloon statues for three hundred dollars, and the balloons probably only cost fifty dollars altogether. Yeah, people will pay you for the service. I. 
it's, I do photography. I know photographers who charge way more and give you way less. And some are good, some are not good. It's, it's, it's all depends on how you brand yourself. I think, um, I don't know, having a business mind is important, but also make sure you, you personally set yourself up to be something that's not necessarily sellable, but uh, I mean, you're an asset. You are your number one I feel asset. feel that. Well, Holly, I have to pee very bad. So we're going to have to close this out. <laughs> All right, yeah, I, I kind of went over my time, but and we kind of gave out a lot of free game for some other stuff too, but we'll see. I might keep it all. I might edit it out. Uh, Shaq, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, one last time, tell them about your business so, and I'm where they the can reach you at. I'm the owner of Snack Digital. It is a design and marketing firm. If you're trying to get your business out there and get more clients, come to me. If you need a new website, if you need a new logo, if you need some advertisements done, come to me and you can find my business Instagram at Snack Digital on Instagram and Facebook. And then if you want to talk about politics or pop culture or you just want to talk shit, you can uh, find me on Instagram at Shakur Maynard, <laughs> Facebook at Shakur Maynard. Black Noble Podcast. I'm your host, Javier Diggs. Thank you all for listening. And until the next one, stay Black and Noble.